Alan Gerding here. This is episode 155 of the Tuesday Night Podcast. We're trying to get as much goodness in as we possibly can, but I'm still playing a game of catch-up. I haven't even released the Shucks episode yet, and that was recorded weeks ago, but it's underworks for next episode 156. In this episode, I have my friend and guest Ed Braff going to talk about a whole bunch of Skull Kahlo, his current Kickstarter, and his past working on video games, and even his insane story of being an entrepreneur child. How much money did you make as a little kid in fifth grade? Well, Ed's going to tell his story. I can't wait to tell you that. But the reason I'm chiming in right now is truly thank a few people. Delton Brack, thank you so much for editing. TheGameCrafter.com for sponsoring us. You're amazing. I can't wait to come back when things slow down and explain to you what I've been doing. I had the Halloween Castle event. It was sweet. We have BGG Con coming up. I hope that's going to be sweet. And we even have PAX Unplugged coming up. I don't have a life. There's no life. Between my full-time job and flying around the damn country on the weekends, nothing, nothing is going on with me personally except the shows and teaching. But it's a really cool time. And thanks to thegamecrafter.com, at every single one of these shows, I've been bringing an updated prototype of different games I've been working on, like Dinner of Doom, woo, or Fairy Tale Betrayal, or even the latest expansions of Two Rooms and a Boom, like Two Rooms and a Groom. So I can't wait to get back to you to tell you all about that, but what I'm more enthusiastic about right meow is episode 155 with Ed Braff. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast that is all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the gaming table. I'm talking board games. I'm Alan Gerding, your host, and with me, I have someone who has really helped Tuesday Night Games thrive and grow. Personal friend of mine, I have the man with many names, Ed Baraf. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Too kind, man. You guys did it all on your own. (laughs) We've sat down with you and you with no incentive other than just being a nice gentleman have given us advice from your end because you're a one man show. What's the name of your game company? Pencil First Games. And we're going to talk about Pencil First Games. We're going to talk about your current Kickstarter for Skull Kahlo going on. (laughs) It's going to be great. But I called you the man with many names. And did I say your last name right? Because I usually just call you Ed. Is it Baraf? Just like Giraffe, but with a B? Baraffe, giraffe, baraffe, carafe, but it can also be baraf. What did your mom call you? Uh, one of them, my, my mom said it one way, my father said it another. I think if you go back 200 years, it comes from like Barofsky. So I think that's probably closer, but you know, the people at Ellis Island had their own agenda. And so it's just baraf. And some people know you as Ed, some people know you as Eduardo, and some people know you as Edo because you also have this thriving YouTube channel. What's the name of your YouTube channel? Gaming with Edo. And it's funny, like all of my episodes start with, hey, everybody, Edo here. (laughs) But I'll still meet people who must just read the name. And they're like, hey, Edo. And I'm like, no, man, it's not Edo. But um, (laughs) the two names I don't go by are Edo and Edward. Both of those are wrong. Yeah, everything else pretty much flies. Going back to the question, what did your mom call you? I mean, 
My mom oh, called she, me a disappointment. She, <laughs> what did she call you? As a kid, until probably sixth, seventh grade, I was Eddie, actually. Oh, look at that. So that's even another iteration. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until, again, later in middle school, high school that I moved to Ed. Well, speaking of the past, let's go on a journey and talk about <laughs> your past and your introduction into games. Because from my understanding, you actually have a digital background that eventually came into analog. But correct me if I'm wrong by telling the story of Ed Barath. <laughs> sure, Ben. So, yeah, no, I mean, I was a kid who played a lot of video games and magic and, and all sorts of things. Not board games, but back in the like classic America, Monopoly, Risk, Stratego, Uno, those the typicals, like, the typicals, the scrabbles. And then, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I grew up a lot of various ideas. When I got to college, I went to the University of Michigan and I was like, boy, they must have a group making games here. And uh, I looked around and the only club was the Dr. Mario high score club. That sounds awesome, by the way. I'm a huge Dr. Mario fan. Yeah, yeah, they must have played a lot. But so I ended up starting an organization called Wolverine Soft for the research, development, and playing of video games or something like that. And a big source of pride is that they're actually still around. Wolverine Soft. Yeah, 20 years later, still making independent games at the University of Michigan. But from there, I ended up going into QA and design and production in video games. So the majority of my career has either been in video games or technology. And then it wasn't until later on that I ended up co-designing a game called Murder of Crows with Thomas Denmark, which was published by Atlas Games. And then a couple years later is when I launched Liftoff, Get Me Off This Planet on Kickstarter. And that was Pencil First Games' first game. Uh, and I've only done Pencil First Games since then. Part of the story that we're missing, from my understanding, is you have some background in Disney. Am I crazy in thinking that? No, no, it's absolutely true. So yeah, I, was, um, I ran the Disney mobile game studio uh, in Palo Alto, and then I ended up sort of <laughs> merging over to uh, the social game studio. So we did a lot of mobile games, Facebook games. I worked on the TapTap Tap franchise, Disney Hidden Worlds, Monsters Run, a whole bunch of variety, Snow White games, um, you know, Disney IP stuff, right? Whatever movie was coming out. Uh, and I was there right when we acquired Star Wars. So I did some of the initial kickoff of Tiny Death Star. That was the big turning point for me because I worked at Disney for probably around three years, and ultimately they started contracting the studio and, and went through a series of layoffs. And Disney sort of oscillates between saying, hey, we want to make all the stuff that we're releasing because we want to have high quality and get all the money and all that. And then they oscillate to like, why don't we just license our stuff? Like, why are we taking all this development risk when we could just license it? Uh, LucasArts sort of did that too, where they were like, internal, external, internal, external. So at the time, there's two interesting threads at Disney. One is you sort of learn a lot about Walt Disney. And Walt Disney's thing was like, what I work on is mine. Like, I'm not going to sell my IP. Like, I'm going to build a company around it, and it's mine. But like, when you're working at Disney, you're like working on this thing for this guy. You know, you're like, everything you're working on isn't for you. It's for them. <laughs> it's for the ghost of Walt Disney. Everything belongs to him. The dude's incredible, by the way, but we'll set that aside. Um, and so that was one thing. But the other thing is, when you're working on mobile games, when you're working on Facebook games, when you work really hard, when these games get shut down or wrapped up or whatever, they disappear. You can't go and play them again if they're not on the latest mobile phone or if the servers are down. You know, after having it with Disney and also with Blue Fang Games, I really wanted to be able to do something creative that wouldn't stop working when the electricity was turned off. <laughs> and that was really the board game. With Liftoff, that was a game that I had created because I was like, 
I just want to make this and it'll be around. I mean, I might have a fire at my house and <laughs> lose it. But other than that, um, I could take this off the shelf in a decade. Even if I just made one prototype, I could take it off the shelf in a decade and play it. Right. Right. Timeless. Timeless. Yeah. And so that, that was really sort of the impetus to start designing Liftoff, which actually sort of happened while I was at Bufan Games. And then I was at Disney. So it was all set aside. But then after Disney, I was thinking about how could I make the game and what I was going to do. And I happened to be at a Teal Fristo uh, as a local guy, took, was at a party and met uh, Aldo from Impressions. And basically, they're all like, why aren't you just doing a Kickstarter? And I was uh, sort of like, what's a Kickstarter? Not what's a Kickstarter, but like board game Kickstarter, what? And they're like, yeah, man, everyone's doing it. You want to be cool, don't you? Join Kickstarter. Join Kickstarter. And it was successful. I mean, it wasn't financially successful, mind you. I lost money on uh, Liftoff because of poor planning and calculations. But it really was the start of everything Pencilverse Games and Skull Call here, I think, is our 10th one. That was about five or six years ago. Which is why Sean and I have gone to you for advice, because Pencilverse Games started six years ago. So did Tuesday Night Games. And we have three games and one expansion out. How many games does Pencil First have out now? Let's just go through the roster as quick as you can. <laughs> sure. Shotgun those names of those games at me. <laughs> this liftoff, get me off this planet. Then it was gem-packed cards, the siblings' trouble, herbaceous, legendary creatures, sunset over water. The next one hitting retail, which has already been on Kickstarter, was herbaceous sprouts. Heroes Welcome was sort of a co-publishing game that Pencil First Games is now going to publish. So that is coming out a few months after Sprouts. And uh, then we have Skull Callow. Skull Callow. Skull yeah. Callow. Before we talk about Skull Callow, I just want to be clear. Your story about your past was you just always had an interest in making games. That when you hit University of Michigan, meaning right out of high school, you go to University of Michigan and you're thinking, how do I get involved in making games? And they almost fell short so you started Wolverine Soft on your own is that is that right is that the story that i heard you say basically right i'm a guy that's really good at working with people organizing figuring out what needs to get done i'm you know i'm a producer a game maker and a producer but like as a kid right i was very entrepreneurial catering business, I had a house cleaning business, I had a shoveling business, and I funneled all of that. I shoveled all that money into buying video games. So I actually have a pretty large collection of video games I bought. And even when I had a snow shoveling thing, like I got the deals and then employed other kids in the neighborhood to like do the work and like that kind of things. No way. You it grew so big you said, hey Billy, I got a spare shovel. Why don't you uh, get some payment yourself and start shoveling some of these neighbors' yards for me? And you handled all the contraction where they paid you, and then you just gave Billy some off the top for Billy's time? Yeah, man. This is all before you graduated? Oh, no, this was like fifth grade. I don't know. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't quite that sophisticated. It was more like, well, whoever came on the job, they got their cut, which was like half. But at that time, there was a lot of blizzards, too, so you'd like shovel a driveway and go back the next day. Where were you raised then? Where is this? Is this Michigan as well? Oh, no, no, no. I grew up in New York. So I grew up in New York in a sort of a suburb north of New York City, uh, Westchester County. And where do you live now? 
now I live in California, so I'm in Mountain View, California. I didn't realize we're going to be doing the whole like life story here, but the basic flow is I grew up in New York, went to the University of Michigan, lived in Japan for a year during that time, uh-huh. and then got a job at Atari in Beverly, Massachusetts, was there for three months. They shut down that studio, but moved me to California, I was in Sunnyvale, then I ended up moving back to Massachusetts for Blue Fang Games and then back to California. Here's the million dollar question, Ed. Sure. The million dollar question is, video games or tabletop games, if you had to choose, which one do you love more? I guess what I would say is, if you were to just clock the amount of time I spent playing games right now, and I still work in the video game industry, but if you were to clock how many hours I spend playing, like, free time playing board games or video games, I play more board games. Wow, that's really impressive. Usually board games require another person, whereas video games you can totally play on your own. So that's why that's impressive, because universally, I would think the average person probably says more time on video games if you do both, because I can do video games on my toilet. I can't really play board games on my toilet. I really dislike consuming entertainment on my own. I sort of, and I don't want to alienate anybody, I would rather get drunk by myself in a bar than go see a movie by myself. Yeah. <laughs> You're not crazy. All of my video games, if you look at my video game roster, are all multiplayer with the occasional, for instance, Dark Souls. I love the single couch multiplayer, the local multiplayer games like Overcooked and Jackbox TV and all that jazz. Those are all great. And But even like playing a game like Zelda, like I'll sit down and I'll play that with Emily. I'm assuming Emily's your daughter? No, Emily's my, <laughs> Emily's my wife. Oh, okay. My bad. Sorry. (laughs) I've got two sons and a wife, Emily. No daughter? Okay. I didn't do my homework. Sorry. Go on. Um, (laughs) As a kid, like I played video games by myself a lot, watching TV and playing video games by myself a lot. I would just rather do it and play it with people and and share in it and be able to talk about it and and enjoy it. It's not to say like I won't play a mobile game by myself. I'm not like against it, but still I just... Basically, if I had time by myself to play a game, I would make a game, right? I'd rather spend that time working on pencil-first game stuff, whereas if I'm going to play something, I want to use that as time I'm socializing with people and enjoying it. I'm with you. I don't want to alienate anyone else either, but I think that's part of who we are as game designers and developers, is that if I'm playing a video game by myself, it feels really shameful because all as I think about while I'm playing this game are all the other things I could be doing that would actually aid in having other people around. It's very uh, dark and dirty. I feel like I have to take a shower after a while. Like, ugh. I do play League of Legends, which is a little bit of a mixture because it's online games. It's interesting too, though. In terms of making games, there's a big difference between making board games and making video games. The WYSIWYG, the what you see is what you get of board games, is really a pleasure. Like, I oftentimes put it, on board games, you don't need engineers, right? <laughs> you, like, you don't need to, like, have this abstraction of everything underneath and then have platforms and technology, right? Like, you're like, yeah. here's some paper and paper on top of the paper, and it's tactile. And so, yeah, Pencil First Games uses Kickstarter and those things. But for me, really... It's a hobby and it's about enjoying and making things and, and working with people and being artistic, not necessarily yeah. on my own, but it's craftsmanship and, and, and making. It's not, you know, just products. Edo, you've nailed so much of it. I think every parent for the last 20 years, if they are knowledgeable enough, have had to tell 
their child. There's a big difference between playing video games and making video games, because if you enjoy playing video games, that doesn't mean you're going to like making video games because of all the work. And you're absolutely right about the pleasure of board games is because there is no middleman there. That's brilliant. But you keep on mentioning Kickstarter. Let's start talking about what's going on right now on Kickstarter. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell me the story of Skull Kahlo, please. Oh, Skull Kahlo is a fun one, actually, from a story perspective. And, and I guess you guys like the story, so I'll tell it. I was doing whatever game I was working on, and actually my son, Ethan, so four E's in my family, Eduardo, Emily, Ethan, and Evan. Ethan's 10, Evan's 8, and this was actually probably two or three years ago. I was making something else. He was like, hey, Dad, I want to make a game with you. He was like, we should make a game. It should be one player versus... 14 other players. Whoa. And I was like, like one player controls 14 units. He's like, no, no, this game's for 15 people. And <laughs> so specific. Like, you should talk to Tuesday Night Games, son. <laughs> we had that conversation and I was like, sure. Well, what, let's just do, what about this idea of like one monster versus a bunch of smaller units? And it was like, cool. And we were playing with some pieces and he was sort of like, okay, so when do we get on Skype and start talking to people about it? And I was like... <laughs> He'll see me, he'll see the prototype face, but a lot of what I do is interacting more on the production side with all these different people working on things. And I was like, well, are, are you the designer? Or are you just, this is just an idea. And, and so he was like sort of interested and I started working on it and I have this really early prototype, which we did on like cards where I drew out what would turn into Grack and these small little creatures made a board out of taped together white cards. You know, he just wasn't interested at all. <laughs> <laughs> Too much work? Or is it too ugly? What was it? No, no, I just don't think he's not that kind of kid. Ethan's very much more like I was as a kid, perhaps, in terms of he's leadership, he's an organizer, he's a salesman. He's much more of that than like somebody who likes to sit and be really creative on his own. Like he can doodle and stuff. But Evan, his younger brother, is like, there's some popsicle sticks over there. I'm going to build a fort out of it. Like just much more like I want to make things with things. Where Ethan right. would much as soon, like, if, if you can have a conversation and figure out a way to sell something and get money. We, we have to be careful <laughs> with him. At a, We'll go to, like, school events, and they'll have some sort of, like, carnival, and he'll, like, come out of it, and then he'll walk to us with, like, 20 stuffed animals. Where did you get that? He's like, well, I bought it, and I traded it, and he'll, like, front a store. So he'll find a store that's selling things for, like, one ticket, but then he'll, like, buy some of those things and show them to other kids, and the kids will be like... Where'd you get those? He'll be like, there are three tickets. <laughs> and he'll take three tickets from the kids, buy them for one and get like. <laughs> what a shysty son of a gun. We've had to pull him aside and be like, I'm very proud of you, but you could never do that again. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I thought you were going to say is that he turned around and started charging tickets for the school carnival when it was a free thing to go to. And that's probably in the same category, man. <laughs> um, like it probably like all sorts of things like that. Wow. Yeah. He's just flipping things for a profit. Just <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, anyway, so it just wasn't his thing. So I was working on it and I, I actually really like loved the idea at the time. I love um, Lord of the Rings of Confrontation. I love that diamond board. I love Stratego. I love the idea of Shadow Colossus. The Colossus one of my favorite games of all time. Video game, right? And just oh, yeah. the idea of having this visceral experience where you were like, a bunch of little guys 
one player had the little guy, the other one had the big, and he's got big moves. And this idea emerged that like he could even have a board and you'd have to like scale him and you'd be on him and he'd knock you off. And like it was all aesthetic. It was all about here's this experience. And, you know, you want it to be, it should be like 30 or 45 minutes. It's got to be easy to learn, but you want it to be tactical, but still over the top. And I noodled it and I like created different creatures and sort of pushed on. But there was no underlining game mechanics, really. It was just like right. the dynamics and the aesthetics that would come from the perfect mechanics. But, <laughs> the mechanic, but I hadn't actually done that work. And I'm, I'm a busy guy moving around. I was sort of thinking like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I can work with somebody to do the design here because clearly Ethan isn't doing it. <laughs> and just talking to a few people. And then, you know, I've been working with Keith Mateka on lots of games. He's done solo play in a number of, he did solo in Herbaceous, Sunset Over Water, Sprouts. I mean, I've played off his stuff with Roleplayer. I was just like, hey, man, you interested in designing a game for, for me or with me? We talked about it and he seemed interested. And so what ended up happening is I was like, basically, I just gave him the premise. I mean, I sent him all my pictures of all the like things I had put together. Hey, man, I want to have a big thing and the little things. And it's got to be like this fast play and card play. I don't want any dice. So it was really just these parameters. You um, gave him the hammer and nails and said, build. So he dove in and, you know, Keith is an incredible designer. He absolutely knows how to make thematic and evocative experiences, and he's great at balancing, and he produced something far exceeding my expectations, anything that like, I would ever have been able to design, right? So it was really like, here's a seed of an idea, here's a, a direction, you know, let's go. And so then we were playing it and developing it, and then the game was starting to come together and what it was going to look like. And I had also at the time been talking to Dustin Faust, who's an artist I love. He did Heroes and Tricks which is a small telephone trick-taking game. But I worked with Dustin at Disney. Afterwards, he did Heroes and Tricks. He did all the art in that. He actually did a lot of the art for Heroes Welcome. We were going to work it together for Skulk Hollow. And the interesting thing about that was I love Dustin's work and his style because he's bright and colorful and cartoony. Right. I've seen it. It's gorgeous. Heroes Welcome. I definitely own Heroes and Tricks, Jonathan Gilmore. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. What ended up happening, which was interesting... The early work for Dustin was his original stuff on the game, a little a little less gritty and a little less dark. And if you go, Skull Call Art is fantastic. It's it's really it really is. If you do, it really if you don't, is. If you don't, even if you don't back, you got to go look at what this game looks like because you can't. You know, it's a podcast, but it is spectacular. But so Keith basically was like poo pooing it, right? Like he was just like, eh, sort of seems like a kids game. Like, eh, it's not really like this game's awesome. Why are they foxes? Why don't we just make them elves? Or maybe this is an exact quote. What ended up happening from having that conversation, which is so important and why I love collaborating on projects, is I spoke with Dustin and I pushed him to go darker, grittier, more dark crystal. Yes, good example. Good throw in. His original work was very much like Robin Hood from Disney. I don't remember what it was called, but I think yeah, Robin adorable, Hood. Yeah, adorable animations and characters. I'm pretty sure Robin Hood was the name of that movie with the fox Robin Hood and the lion Prince John. You took the words right out of my mouth, PJ. PJ, I like that. You know I do. Hiss, put it on my luggage. PJ. <laughs> and then we pushed it more into like Secret of Nim. Nymph? Nim? Nim. Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim. And, and Dark Crystal. Mm -hmm. And it's still colorful. It's still cartoony. 
but it's like that creature's not looking to say hello. Like that creature's looking to kill some foxes, and those foxes are going to go take it out. Secret of Nim was a great reference because that is a cartoon, and those rats and mice, they look adorable, but it is dark as hell. You expect murder and mayhem and all sorts of adult themes. Uh, somebody on Twitter said something like, this game looks like Shadow of the Colossus meets Mouse Guard. And I was like, that's a good quote. <laughs> Boom! That's great. Print it. <laughs> but um, yeah. it was really fun. The game's moving along, lots of playtesting. The art is extremely detailed. So the, one of the longest tracks on this game has been the art. I mean, the game's been in development for probably two or three years. This has been a lot of work. So the story behind Skullcalo is there's some giant stone monster and these fox creatures are trying to overthrow. So it's many versus one giant colossus. Because this is a great segue into what we like to do as an elevator pitch, where you get a minute or less to go ahead and describe the spirit of a game. Don't go into the nitty gritty details. Basically, what does the back of the box say? What is a way you can get people interested, not just in the game, but the story around the game as well? You are pitching a movie to a producer, and the way we torture our guests, or nobles as we call them, you're a noble by the way, sir, is that we give you a character that you have to be. Sure. So not only do you give this pitch, but you have to be a character. Have you played the game uh, Role Play uh, that was on Kickstarter? Like, I don't know. Role Play or Role Player? No, I think it was called Role Play Quest or something. It was a, it wasn't Role Player. It wasn't a dice game. It was literally just like you were given, you were thrown into a situation and then you were giving a character you had to voice it in. Oh, cool. Man, that sounds like I should get it just for this show. (laughs) Yeah, you'd like it. They throw some gameplay in there, but the heart of it is what you just described. So, okay, so who's the character? Well, I heard you do a pretty awesome voice. So what is the name of the big monster that needs to be defeated? Oh, you mean Grok. (laughs) Grok. Do you think you can do it as Grok in the first person perspective as Grok? I'll do it in a, in a Grack, but like, I just want to be clear, like Grack wouldn't be a guy like conversing about a game. Like it's off character, but I can do it in the so voice. So maybe it's Grack's thoughts. This is Grack's internal monologue. I will try. When you are ready, all you have to do is say, ding me, SBJ, and I'll give you the elevator ding to start your minute. Ding me, SBJ. Skulk Hollow is a two-player asymmetric combat game where one player is a band of fox and heroes, evil heroes, who are trying to take out a huge guardian, of which there are many, not just me. The fox and hero summons different fox into the board and attacks in multiple directions and then needs to jump up onto the creature, which is its own separate creature board. It's huge and crazy, and it's me. While I just have awesome attacks, but as they're on me, they can disable my abilities, but I can get them back when I heal. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you getting through that. That's great. So there's the two different factions. So it's just two players, one versus one, where the one player controls all the fox-like heroes. Is there a name for the fox heroes? Are they called foxen? The foxen heroes from Skull Hollow. I, I, I think what you're missing, or at least I would add, is it's an asymmetric game where it's one player plays the band of foxen, but that player can pick from different nobles, nobles, <laughs> and each one changes how they play their army. So they pick their, their king, queen, prince, or princess to lead, and that's how they then play with their foxen side. And then on the guardian side, there's actually three completely different guardians 
all with their own board, all with their own abilities. As awesome as the art is, we have epic meeples, cooler meeples than you've ever seen, amazing, best-in-class meeples. And I've done a lot of meeple work. And so you all you get your own little pack with all these different things for your guardian, and they all play differently. But in any game, it's one guardian and then the foxen and their noble. And so not only can you switch sides, but you can play as different combinations, but you're only playing one at a time. Earlier, we were talking about the fiction stuff. Actually, the idea here is a little bit different. I mean, we, we worked with a great narrative designer, Seth Johnson, who's detailed out the world and sort of the background. But essentially, like in the time before time, there are actually wizards of the realm who created sort of the Foxen and the Guardians. And the Guardians were like the Titans and the world builders. They build the world and then they like go to sleep. And then eventually, whatever happens, the wizards, they essentially dissolve out the Foxen and the, the woodland creatures and the other, other races are, are, are born. And they're like in the world and growing and prospering, but then sort of do the thing where they're like excav- excavating too much and, and the hubris of, of, of the Foxen. They dig up something they can't undig. Yeah, and then the Guardians sort of awake. And so it's all over the world, these Guardians are waking up. And it's a little less in, in meant to just be the evil Guardian versus the, the hero Foxens. It's much more like, well, they were here, but they were here. And now we were both here and you don't like each other. Each side has their own motives that are equally as valid. It's not good guy versus bad guy. It's faction versus faction. This had to take some balancing then with all these different types of guardians versus the different noble fox and characters. Is there a combination that you found is at a huge disadvantage over the other? So if I was really good at the game and experienced, I would play this guardian, but I would give them that fox and or vice versa. This is one of the master strokes of work that Keith did. There are a number of dynamics in the game. So it's card driven. You have dual action cards that are based on the side you're on and the people you're working with. So it's sort of easy to move and play. There are tactics that rock, paper, scissor type stuff that you can do that like if a player is playing defensive, you can sort of play aggressive, but each creature has different win conditions. And it's, it's this thing where like, I can't promise you or say this game's perfectly balanced, but it's balanced in this zone where you might play a certain way, but if I change my strategy and play the counterweight to that, I can get you. Like, the Guardians have a unique victory condition. Like, Grack wins if he kills eight foxes. But his other victory condition that all the enemies have is if they kill the king or the noble, wh- whoever, you know, could be a queen or whatever. Right, whoever's in charge. Yeah, so it's like chess in that regard. You can be, like, rocking with fox and, like, be taking out abilities, but, like, if you leave your king unguarded it can just turn over and slam him and, and, and take him out. So there's this like really awesome dynamic around both winning, but also just like not leaving yourself open. It could end quickly if, you, if you're not smart about it. Or like if the Guardian player isn't paying attention, suddenly he's overwhelmed with foxes. So we've been working very hard to make sure that there's no dominant creature, there's no dominant strategy. It is the case, you can be good at the game. It's not yes. a, a game that... Anyone can pick up and play it, but if you've played it a bunch, you will beat the other player at first, right? It's, it's not... Um, there is definitely a learning curve to mastery. Yeah. Easy to learn, difficult to master. Yeah, it's that kind of thing, right? And there are a lot of dynamics in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we added a little handicap system for if you're playing with new players, you can give them a oh, couple awesome. of... Oh, awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. brilliant. It was really easy. It just turns into little tokens that they basically are like, you know, use one and then you can just get in a free action. And in this game, like a free unexpected action can be pretty significant. So that was just a way to to even that out. But really, I mean, lots of people pick it up and get into it. But we had, uh, Keith came out to California maybe a month ago, 
were sort of finalizing for the Kickstarter. And we just played eight games in a row straight up. And it was locked horns, head to head. Going back and forth. It was great. And uh, actually, uh, recently, we published a video which was like, thoughts on asymmetric, on my Gaming with Edo channel, thoughts on asymmetric game design. And it talks a lot of how that design process went. But also then, as I mentioned, these amazing, amazing meeples was Helen Ju, uh, Z-H-U, who I've been working with for all of the meeples. Like she did the Legendary Creatures meeples. She did the ones that sunset over water. These guardians are so cool. And I got a question for you because you said that there's handicaps that can help new players, which is brilliant, but you equated it to chess, which is pure strategy. Is there any luck involved in this game that diffuses the aspect of strategy? Because a lot of times people are reticent to play chess because it's basically who here has played more chess. And that's why we like some type of randomization. So we at least have an excuse as why we lost this game. Let's be clear. Skulk Hollow is not a abstract strategy game. Skulk Hollow is a dynamic tactics game. In terms of the variability, you have card draw. So all, you know, everyone, you have a deck. Boom, done already. That alone diffuses it. Cool. It's not a deck builder, but there's a lot of deck management and thinking about how you're going to draw more cards. You can prepare and sort of use an action to draw cards. You have the ability to power up units. The hero summons units into different spots as the foxen are summoned into the town or the keep. There's a lot of give and wiggle room. I guess there's a lot going on and a lot of depth to what Keith designed, which was what makes it fantastic. I've played, I don't know, personally, I've played over 100 games. I have fun every time. You, you're in different scenarios. The situation's interesting. Like, Pencil First Games is publishing this game. I developed it with these guys. Like, I'm heavily invested into it. But like, of course. At the same time, like, it's awesome. Like It really <laughs> delivered what we were trying to deliver, and I'm really proud of that. Well, you can count on me backing uh, for sure. I want this for all the reasons that you mentioned, let alone the beautiful art and style. It is an art piece in and of itself. But we're running short on time, and I want to ask you, how do we stay in touch with you? Everything you do is not just pencil first, because you have a YouTube social media presence. So if... I was a knave listening to this podcast, and I wanted to get to know everything that Edo Baraf is putting out there. What's the best way to follow you? The best way to follow me is just on Facebook and Twitter, Eduardo Baraf and at eBaraf. That's pretty, pretty much where I'm most active. If you want to sort of get the digest, you can go to www.baraf.com. It's not really necessarily the best place for anything, but it'll link you to Pencil First. It'll link you to my YouTube channel and stuff like that. But the YouTube channel is Gaming with Edo. Great. Thanks for talking about Skullcalo. Speaking of Skullcalo, it's on Kickstarter right now. So just go to Kickstarter, Skullcalo, boom, it's there. 39 for the game. And it'll come with the map, all the different guardians, the foxen. We're not doing a bunch of crazy tiers. So like there'll be one and then with a second one, like a bundle with two. There's not a billion tiers on this one. Ed, thanks for being on the show. For the knaves, nobles, and listeners alike at home, if you want to send us your knave tonight submissions, questions, concerns, please email us, podcast at tuesdaynightgames.com. Spelled with a K. Or follow us on the Twitter at PlayTKG. We're also on the other forms of social media, so you're talking Facebook, Instagram, that kind of shit. The best thing you can do if you're thinking, hey, Alan, Ed, How do I support this damn show? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. 
One of the finest things to contribute to this podcast, besides sending in your own Nave Tonight submission, is reviewing us on iTunes. Give us a whole bunch of stars, say we're awesome, whatever. But another good way is to support all of the nobles that come on as guests on this show. So please, go check out Skull Kahlo, right meow, on Kickstarter while you still can. It's only going to be there for another week or two, I believe. And I think with that being said, we should end this thing, Edo. So this episode is... Finished. Finished.